Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace to men, on whom his favor rests. The angels announce the birth of Jesus, and they cannot hold back any longer. They must give praise honor and glory to God. So they burst out with an awesome spiritual experience that convinces the shepherds that they mean business. The shepherds clearly are overwhelmed by the, their angelic experience, yet, only, yet they only experience just a taste of the glory of Jesus Christ. One day we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and experience his full glory. Our response will be like that of the angels. We will fall down in worship, acknowledging the glory of Jesus for what it is. Awesome. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, to you be the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. For you have created all things, and through you all things have their being. We worship your holy name, the name that is the essence of glory, May your honor and fame increase and your dominion be without end. In Jesus' name, amen. He and I have a rhythm and a routine here in our humble home, and that morning he was messing it up. See, he comes in at 712 every morning on the nose, I hear his boots hit the floor. I make the coffee. He washes the pasture off of him and we take our toast to the patio. That's our thing. He's a quiet man, likes the one word answers, that one. And then he's off to bed. He, um, he keeps the herd at night. Oh, how my parents looked at me when I told them that I'd fallen in love with a shepherd boy. But um, that's a story for another time, or never. But that morning, there were no boots, only quiet, quiet like my husband. Before I could get to the front door, it slammed. It was, it was loud, it was different, as if the front door knew something I didn't know. My husband yells for me, he yells for me. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's lost the herd, he's out of breath. He's saying my name as he takes my face in his big hands. His eyes, they're full of fear, no awe. Tears are running down his face and he can't stop talking, ranting about this bright light that fell out of the sky and angels 
Yes, that is what I said. Angels, hundreds of them all over the field proclaiming good news. But what did he mean, good news? Now I know my husband, the shepherd, he will never hold the scepter of a king, never sit with dignitaries to solve the world's problems, never even be invited to a meal where he has to wear a suit. But he was given the greatest edict in all the land, all the world, actually, called to the front lines by God himself to proclaim this good news. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I can say it in my sleep now. I can see it sometimes too. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God was pleased with my husband, the shepherd. His boots hit the floor a little later on these days and that's okay because he is telling anyone who will listen the good news. Good morning. Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, what a good story. The story of the angels coming to appear to the shepherds. Uh, imagine what it would have been like to, to be the shepherd's wife and hear later that day, how is work today? <laughs> oh, just wait. I have something to share with you. Well, this morning we're going to look at the Christmas story through the lens of these shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And so I want to read this again. The O'Rourke family read a portion of this, and I just want to again just let the, the Word of God wash over us so that we can, we can put ourselves in their place. Christmas is all about Jesus. It's about this baby who came and lived in this difficult life and world that we live in for us. And we want to pause today and reflect on that and see how that began and how they experienced the coming of Christ. So listen again, if you would. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause 
great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. What a great story. These shepherds are surprised by these angels given this news. They rush off to the, the manger scene, right? So they, uh, they show up and here's, they find, just like the angel said, here's Joseph and here's Mary and here's the baby and there's the donkey and there's the sheep and then the shepherds walk in. <laughs> I wonder, and, and from our perspective, it's like, oh, they just walked into the uh, in, into this the scene that's so uh, so so famous for us that we see all over the place. They they want us to wonder, where do I stand? Is there a mark where I'm supposed to stand to make sure? You know, is there someone taking a picture of this for history's sake? But they walked in, and it was more than that. It was about Christ who had come to save the people from their sin and. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful story because what happened to the shepherds is what happens to us. What God did to and for these shepherds is what God does to and for us. We want to look at that today. So would you just pause and pray with me for a moment this morning? And we're going to see um, exactly what that is. Father, thank you for this story of these humble shepherds just out doing their job and you met them, you intervened in their life. You confronted them in such a startling way. And Father, I pray that as we just go about our lives, doing our jobs, doing our thing, that you would meet us, that you'd confront us, that you would show up in ways that bring that radically change our lives so that we could never be the same again. Help us to see and understand all who you are and all that Jesus represents for us. In his name, amen. We're going to look this morning at how God brought these shepherds to their knees, how he brought them peace through the gospel and how he captivated their hearts. So we see first how God brought them to their knees in, in verses 8 and 9. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord 
shown around them, and how did they feel about it? They were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. Now, think about it. These were the shepherds. They're out keeping watch over their flocks at night, so the sheep are, they want them to be safe. They want the, the, the ewes who are, maybe some of them were pregnant. Some of them maybe had little lambs, and they want them to be safe. They want them to be nurtured. They want them to rest well so they can move them to pasture to feed the next day. These are the shepherds who are well aware of what happens with these sheep. They're raising sheep in Bethlehem. I'm told that if you stand on the southern gate of Jerusalem and look south and just a little bit to the left, you can see Bethlehem. It's right there, a, a little ways out of, out of the city of Jerusalem where the temple was. And people would buy little lambs and sheep from local shepherds to take to the temple to sacrifice them. Because they knew that sin required a blood sacrifice. It had to be covered over with the blood of a lamb. And these are the shepherds raising those sheep. They know what happens to their lambs. They're keeping them safe so that the people can have them to help them have a somehow peace with God. And they understand the, the messy nature of that. They understand the cost and demand of sin. They see it all the time. These may have been people who later would hear John the Baptist saying, Behold, as Jesus walked toward them, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They knew what that meant. And it was to these shepherds that, that God came and, and, and the angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of God shined all around them. The, the Shekinah glory, the shining glory of God comes in the middle of the night. Blazing lights. They'd never seen it before and they're overwhelmed by the glory of God. We've seen people in the Bible before who are confronted with the glory of God. We've seen it happen with Abraham and with Moses and with some of the prophets where the glory of God comes and they're terrified. They're afraid. Why were they afraid? Why would the glory of God be afraid? We, we read about the beauty of the holiness of God. But why would the holiness of God be scary? The holiness of God is scary because we're not. We're not holy. The holiness of God is frightening because we're sinful people. At least I am. Anybody else? Anybody else in here ever sin? Thank you, Dan. Dan, Moose, and I, and Cheryl, we have sinned. Yep. Uh, and I think you have too. And, and, and the, the problem is we live in this fallen world where we kind of get used to the fact that sin is a part of every single person's life, and it's normal. So it, over time, doesn't bother us that much. But when the presence of the holiness of God comes, we realize, 
Like these shepherds realized, oh shoot, (laughs) there is no standing in the light of God, in the presence of his holiness. The abhorrence of sin becomes apparent. In my house, um, Jonathan and I like to cook eggs. Uh, we, we Frequently, one of us will be in the kitchen, often right as Kimberly's about preparing a meal. So she's like, what are you doing? Stop eating. I'm preparing a meal. Um, teenage boys, right? And, and one of us will be in the kitchen, and we'll be ready to just fry up a couple of eggs, and the other will say, oh, are you cooking eggs? Can you, can you put a couple in there for me, too? And so imagine Jonathan's cooking eggs, and I'm like, John, throw two more eggs in there. He's got two eggs in the pan, and he goes to crack a third. But as soon as it cracks and starts to come out of the egg, he realizes something is wrong. Because that third egg is absolutely rotten. Now, I want to just ask, have you ever cracked open an egg that was rotten? Have you? Couple, yeah, oh, quite a few of you have. I've done it once. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. It was almost black when it came out. It was so nasty. And as soon as it's cracked and starting to come out, the entire kitchen just absolutely, like, I wanted to run out and throw up. So John cracks the rotten egg into the pan, and he's like, well, that really stinks. Um, but, but there's... But he, he said put in two, so maybe the next one will be okay. And, and, and maybe if I, if I add that next one, then, then three out of these four eggs are, are good. And so I think I'll just mix them together. Because if I leave them, it'll be real obvious that one's different. One of these eggs is not like the other. I'm going to mix them up real good. I mean, there's three really good eggs in there. And, and then I'll divide it up and, we'll, and maybe he won't notice. And the looks on your face tell the story. Because of course it would be awful, it would be unbelievable. And, and yet in our lives, do we not say, yes, I have this piece of sin over here, but I'm, I'm not that bad. I mean, you're a worse sinner than me. You have three of your eggs are bad. And I only have one, so... Comparatively, I, I'm not so bad. And, and maybe I'll be good enough for, there you go, maybe I'll be good enough for God <laughs> if I add some, some other good stuff to my life. If I add some good works, if I do some extra thing, if I give or donate or try to take care of someone else or do something good, then it'll, it'll maybe dilute <laughs> The sin won't be so bad. We fall into these ways of thinking because it's normal for us. Sin is all over the place. And when the holiness of God comes, our sin becomes clear exactly what it is. It's not okay. And we're not okay before God bearing our sin. And I imagine these shepherds felt that, and their response was immediate terror. Not just because, oh, who are these giant white (laughs) soldiers in the field or whatever they look like, 
but it says the glory of the Lord shone around and they were terrified. We're done. Surely now, seeing all that has been hidden all my life exposed with the shining light of God shining into my heart, he must be here for judgment. And we cannot stand. Romans 3, verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Have you ever had a time in your life A moment where God let you see the nature of your sin as he sees it. Have you ever had a time in your life when all of a sudden you realize, I'm toast, I'm I'm done. This is not okay. I can't fake it. There's something wrong between me and God and it's all my fault. I remember, I remember a time uh, I was a youth, and I was at a youth camp, um, and uh, we were we were around a campfire. And my youth pastor, while we're out there in the dark under the stars, was was sharing with us. He was telling the story of the cross. He was telling the story of what, what Jesus did, how Jesus took the death that our sins lead to upon himself as an innocent person and how he was falsely accused, didn't open his mouth defensively, how he was mocked by the soldiers, how he was beaten with rods and scourged with that whip that opened his flesh and he bled. How he was nailed hand and feet to the wood of the cross and stripped and hung there for everyone to see, to shame him, to punish him. And and really, the impact wasn't just that someone died a horrible death a long time ago, but that he did it for me. All sin leads to death. So Jesus entered willingly into that space on my behalf. And I remember it brought me to my knees. Crushed my spirit with grief. Now there might be some here who say, well, I don't know about all that stuff. I I get it, God's holy, sin's a problem, but I haven't really sinned that much. I'm actually a pretty good person. And some, some religions have taught, if you're, if you're a better of humanity, a better person than others, you might be okay. But even if, uh, I mean, think about how often we sin. How often do, how many times did you sin yesterday? Anybody want to volunteer and tell us? You can sin in all kinds of ways. I can sin in things that I do. If I, if I take something that's not mine or wreck somebody's stuff, or it, I can sin by doing something. I can also sin by not doing anything. If there's something I should do. If I tell somebody, yep, I'll do that, and then I don't. Or there's someone that God puts in front of me to help, and I choose to walk away. 
I can sin by doing something. I can sin by not doing something. I can sin with my words. By saying something hurtful and harmful to you, demeaning, belittling. Jesus said, not only that, I can sin in my thoughts. He said, you've heard it said not to murder. He's like, that's great. Don't do that. That's bad. Um, also, if we say these hurtful things, you, you fool, you know, that's like murdering someone with our words. But we can also just do it in our heart with thoughts. There are so many ways in which we fall short of the holiness of God that even if we only sinned a few times a day, it's, it's thousands and thousands of sins over a lifetime. And if sin leads to death, who's going to pay for that? What does that mean for us if we bear that sin on our own shoulders? I, I think there's a sense, there's a time when we have to stop and really think about these things and think, we really are in trouble. God is holy and he's amazing and he's, he's perfect and he's pure and his glory shines and exposes in me all these ways that I fall short. What am I going to do? And in that moment, and the angels came and the glory of God shone around, these angels are terrified. Rightly so. And they don't know what to do. But the beautiful thing is that right away the angels let them know they did not come there to condemn the world, but that through this little child the world might be saved. In that moment, the angels bring them hope, bring them peace through the gospel or the good news about Jesus. It says the angels said to them, don't be afraid. Should they have been afraid? Yes. But the angel says, don't be afraid because I'm bringing you good news that'll cause great joy for people all over the place. He's bringing good news to us. Sometimes we share like the good news of the gospel or we want to share the good news, but we don't really stop to realize why the good news is needed. The good news is needed is because we are stained by sin and without hope of remedy on our own. There is nothing we can do about our sin. But there's good news because we have a Savior. And he went on and said, today... Just right over there in the town of David, right in town, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. I mean, think about that. Like, oh, how will we know? Like, there's babies all over, and they're, they're being held by their moms and their grandmoms, and they're, they're indoors where little babies should be. They're in cribs that have been made for babies on blankets, you know, and they're wearing onesies. And the angel's like, no, this one's different. He's going to have some strips of cloth on him. He's going to be lying in a feeding trough. And they're like, okay, we can't miss that. That's not normal. And suddenly, as he delivers this news, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God, saying glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace 
to men on whom his favor rests. There's a savior. I find it interesting, the old, the old, I think the King James, the old, the version that Linus read in the Peanuts thing, you know, we've heard that version, uh, peace, um, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, that's really nice, but it's not what the Bible, it's not an accurate translation, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This peace is for some, but it's not for everybody. A couple other verses I want to share that help us understand it. One is in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23. It acknowledges the wages of sin is death. What we earn from our sin is death, but there's a gift from God. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God gave us Jesus in that feeding trough so that he could give us a gift, a Christmas gift of eternal life through him. It's not the death we deserve. It's something else. Life through Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, it says, God did not appoint us to suffer under his wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give us something different than we deserve. Eternal life and salvation. Like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Wow. Jesus came to do something for us so that God could forgive all that sin, not cover it over with the blood of an animal that represented that sin brought death and that represented that someone has to die for sin. But way more than that, what Jesus did is actually washed our sins away. Gave us new hearts. Purified us in the presence of God so that we can be completely forgiven Set free and made part of his family. It's incredible. This gift that he gives us, uh, we receive it uh, very simply, not with human hands. We don't reach out and take it. It's not a physical thing. We reach out by faith. Faith is when I choose to believe. Yes, I believe Jesus is offering me a gift of eternal life. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that if I ask him to forgive me my sins, he will forgive my sins and wash me clean. And so we reach out by faith to receive the gift of eternal life. That means some people will receive eternal life because they believe it. They give themselves into God's hands. They entrust themselves. Other people won't. And you could name some of them. Neighbors, coworkers, relatives who have chosen not to believe. And what's true about that is that their sin is still on their own shoulders. It's still on their own accounts. It's a tremendously burdensome thing to think about. And it makes us want to be like those angels to share, hey, you don't have to bear that. 
Jesus came to wash that away and give you new life. Gives us a call to them. But it causes us to pause, and sometimes we should think back to when did I when did I give my life to Jesus? When did I ask him to forgive me for my sins? And I, I could ask you that question too. When when did you give your life to Jesus? Some of us struggle a little bit because we're like, well, I did, I did. I remember this time I prayed and I asked God to forgive me for my sins, but you know what happened? Later on, I sinned again. How dare you? <laughs> you know what? So have I. So we continue to ask God, forgive us for our sins. We want to clear it up so our relationship with him is clear and healthy, but our salvation isn't based on what happens when we sin later. Our salvation was secure when we give our life to Christ because the blood of Jesus covers all of our sin. We become part of God's family, and as his children, we still sin. But we don't, God doesn't reject his children. He says, come over here and let's talk about it. See, faith is an invitation it's an invitation to approach God. We don't want to do that. We're like Adam and Eve. God came in the garden after they sinned, and he says, hey, where did you guys go? Where did you go? Where are you? They're hiding because they're, they're ashamed of their sin. And faith is this invitation to come back into the presence of God transparently. Here I am. Here's the love I'm trying to have for you. Here's where I'm failing with that. Here's my sin. This is, what, this is all I got. And God says, come over here and let me help you. Come over here. Let me, let me take you in my lap. We'll clear up that sin and restore your relationship. Come on home. Faith is when we, we express vulnerability to God and we get to let him accept us, not because of who we are, but who he is. And what Jesus has done. Fear not. Well, then the eight, they go and they meet Jesus. The shepherds meet Jesus. And then we see at the end of that section of verse 15, when the angels left them, gone in heaven, um, they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened that the Lord told us about. They hurried off and they found the baby lying in the manger. They, they took action. They got up and they went and they had the opportunity to meet Jesus um, and to, to experience him. Of course, he was just a baby at that point. Their experience was in some ways less rich than ours because we know what he went on to do. We know what he went on to teach. We know how he went on to give his life as a ransom for many. We actually know way more than these shepherds did. We have a richer experience than they did. And they left it saying when, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They went out and told everybody, we know even more. We've actually experienced Christ personally in our heart if we're a believer and received his Holy Spirit and receive the forgiveness, they're still kind of looking forward to it because Jesus hadn't fulfilled everything he came to do yet. 
We've had even more. So let's, let's share their joy with other people, their excitement about this good news that Christ came to bring salvation to all. And I hope that in the next day or two, especially, as you really think about Christmas and all the stuff around it, that somehow through that you'll be able to see your Savior. That Jesus came for a purpose, willingly, to endure a, a pretty difficult life, a really terrible death, so that he could experience the resurrection for us too, so he could bring us into the family of God. Worship him. Let him captivate your hearts. And be sure to tell somebody else, because he died for them too, that they have a Savior. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to remember and reflect on what these shepherds experienced as you came to reveal the beginning of this good news but also to think about what we've experienced as well. So we've seen the whole story. We've experienced the benefits of it. Father, I pray that you would just captivate our hearts again with the amazing forgiveness and grace that you've given us and with the message we have to give those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.